It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is happening? What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing. I appreciate that. And thank you for becoming patrons of the program. I really appreciate y'all supporting the show as you have over more than a year. Eric, Ray, Lori, Rick, Ben, Tammy, Ann, Thigpen, uh, Mark, Grant, David, and Cindy. They all became patrons to the program. They get exclusive content. They get access to the live streams. Uh, They are overall just uh, really great people. Uh, also great people want to welcome the latest sponsor to the program. The name should sound familiar to anybody who listened to me on the radio in Asheville. Balkan Roofing, family owned and operated, great organization, great people. They do quality work, like such high quality that they keep getting awards from uh, uh, GAF, which is the largest roof shingle manufacturer in North America. They only give, it's like 2% of all of the roofers uh, even ever get considered for the President's Award, and uh, Balkan Roofing has won it three straight times, and I think they're about to make an announcement about a fourth, but we shall see. So now more than ever, right, you've heard me say this for years, your roof protects the biggest investment you'll ever make. Now more than ever, protect what matters most. Don't get taken advantage of. I mean, you can go out and, you know, hire Tommy Tank Top or the Chuck in a truck who shows up and says, hey, I I can fix your roof, I think. And he's got a ladder back there and a couple packs of shingles. And so, well, I guess he's a roofer. And look, you can do that. Okay. And and no one's going to stop you, right? They're going to put on a really cheap roof. And that's what you're going to get. And then you're going to need this number for Balkan because they have a heck of a repair team. Okay, the number is 662-3027, 662-3027, or go to BalkanRoofing.com. That's B-A-L-K-E-N Roofing.com. Again, 662-3027. They'll give you a free estimate, and uh, you can get a roof for as low as $69 a month with Balkan. So uh, go check them out. Go, go to the website. Have them come out to the house. Let me know how it goes, um, and uh, tell them you heard it here on the show. I appreciate that. All right, so Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, he was rewarded by conservative voters for having the courage to take a deep dive into the culture wars. So writes Ray Nothstein at the uh, Carolina Journal. Most years, Republicans barely got their toes wet. (laughs) But Robinson just takes the plunge. Many Republicans believed the path to electoral success was to focus solely on economic issues while largely ignoring the left's long march through the institutions. And we all know what that means. The long march through the institutions is neo-Marxism from Antonio Gramsci, the Italian communist. Anyway, um, as long as the economic policy is right, they'll come around was the oft-repeated strategy. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, a conservative, understands that politics is deeply limited in the problems it can solve. Politics cannot solve problems that are spiritual or cultural in nature. We've been saying this for years, right? Politics is downstream of the culture. Where the culture goes, the politics will follow. And so the left controls 
the cultural institutions, and this is the long march, right? And so they're advancing their ideas through these institutions of the culture, and then the politics uh, plays to the tune called by those institutions. Whether you like his gruff style or not, Nothstein writes, he is spot on for reminding the electorate that politics ultimately solves very little. This is in great contrast to today's modern left and their belief that politics is an all-consuming endeavor that can right every perceived wrong through the wisdom of central planners or eggheads, as Robinson calls them. And if you don't believe me, just spend a few hours tracking the hysteria and outrage on Twitter on nearly any issue that doesn't give the government and politicians more control and power. Right? It, I remember when uh, it used to be just a joke. Like in our household growing up, we would uh, joke about, oh, there ought to be a law, <laughs> right? Uh, and this was uh, sort of writ large across the society, right? Like, oh, you know, can't somebody do something? I mean, The Simpsons did a famous episode where Homer Simpson uh, runs for the trash collector or something. And uh, like, like this idea that government will solve all these problems, and it can't. Secularization and massive culture shifts created a climate where a lot of people now look to the government first for purpose and for meaning in their lives. People become identified, uh, or they identify themselves, I should say, uh, by their partisan leanings. You see it on social media all the time, right? And so wherever the people do not believe in something beyond the world, they will worship the world. But above all, they will worship the strongest thing in the world. That was G.K. Chesterton, Catholic philosopher. Again, wherever people do not believe in something beyond the world, they will worship the world. But above all, they will worship the strongest thing in the world. And what is the strongest thing in the world? It's government, right? The institution, if you're talking about institutions, right? It's government. It's not churches anymore, not in America, right? When culture is broken and dominated by the ideologies of the left, Nothstein writes, conservatives have to address these facts to be successful. They have to elevate the importance of strong families and a robust civil society. And Robinson gets that. Trump got it too, but too often he couldn't get out of his own way. Like Robinson, conservatives must talk about the exceptional nature of America's history and engage in storytelling. And that storytelling, I would add, um, has to be, quote, inclusive. It has to be diverse. There has to be more voices in the storytelling than simply, you know, white guys. And I'm not saying that because I'm woke or anything. I'm saying that because if you're trying to reach an audience that is not white male, you have to have some characters that people identify with. You got to have some. I'm not saying all. You got to have some, though. Three quarters of teachers who have heard about critical race theory support it. This is a study. I just saw this come down the wire from uh, the Federalists, but it's a heritage uh, poll. This is interesting. It was a new survey uh, that was... Um, done by Heritage, finds that uh, although a lot of people have not heard of critical race theory, one in 10 teachers only have a negative view of it, while three times as many teachers have a positive view of it. The Heritage Foundation report, first obtained by the Federalist, displays the survey responses of more than a thousand teachers and more than a thousand parents on questions of civics, education, and critical race theory. Braun Research conducted the survey, which ran from December 30th, 2020 through February 2nd, 2021. So this 
data was collected several months ago, half a year ago, and I have to believe that some of these numbers are now different. They have to be, right? They've got to be because of all of the coverage over the last two months. I think a lot more people are more aware of it now than they were back then. Findings show a majority of respondents held a neutral or positive view of critical race theory. Nearly three quarters of teachers who have heard of critical race theory approve of it. Okay, so if you take all of the teachers, you look at all the teachers that they interviewed, 30% of them uh, have a positive view. 30%, one out of, so one third of all teachers have a positive view. The rest of them, by and large, had neutral or unsure, okay? But with those who have heard of it, three quarters of them approve of it. H- how is that possible? How is this possible? I've been told for the last month now, well, maybe a little bit longer, but basically, but it's really kind of amped up in the last month. I've been told that this is all just being pushed by the right wingers, right? That, that it's not even in our schools. Why, why would people have a negative or positive idea? This is not even being taught. Nobody knows any of this stuff. This is all just hysteria. It's just a boogeyman from the right. They're just trying to use it as an election issue. These are the arguments that are coming from the pro-CRT folks. It starts like, so obviously the left has been pushing this through the schools, right? The right responds and the left then says, oh, why, why are you making a big deal about this? This isn't even a big deal. Nobody's even teaching this stuff. Okay, well then if nobody's teaching it, then let's not, um, let's not allow teachers to promote it, right? Let's pass laws to uh, restrict the curriculum to not teach the thing that you say is not being taught. And what's the response? How dare you say what we can't teach? Well, wait a minute. If you're not teaching this garbage and it's neo-Marxist garbage, if you're not, tr- if you're not teaching it, why would you object to any kind of rule that says you can't teach it? Now, there is a line of thinking here espoused by David French, who has fought in court on free speech um, and, and uh, you know, religious conscience litigation for years. OK, and he he went after a lot of speech codes that existed on college campuses. And I've got it linked up. He did a podcast with Christopher Rufo uh, and they had a, they had a good debate, I thought, on Barry Weiss's uh, podcast about all of this and how best to attack it. And I don't know if they got any resolution. They both made good points. But I am sympathetic to French's argument that a lot of the stuff that CRT is doing is already illegal under law, right? It's already been determined through various other lawsuits that you're not allowed to uh, to do preferential treatment or, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, teach kids differently because of the their race. You're not allowed to segregate them. And, and it is coercive by nature because it's K-12 schools, right? You have to go. And so um, I am sympathetic to this idea that French is arguing that if you start putting these types of laws on the books, you're not going to like it when the left turns around and does it as well. Um, I'm not entirely on board with that line of thinking, because if this stuff is already illegal and French's response is, well, you should sue about it. Yeah, well, that's not happening. Why isn't it happening? I think part of the reason is that people just finally kind of realized what was going on in the schools because of the pandemic. I think 
when parents finally saw what their kids were learning when they were at home remote learning, they were like, oh my God, (laughs) what is happening? And so it has prompted a backlash and it has taken the form of a lot of pieces of legislation all across America. And they tend to all be of sort of a similar kind of boilerplate language uh, designed to try to pass review. David French doesn't believe it will, but we'll see. Like, we'll see, because there are there, there will be lawsuits uh, over these uh, over these bills if they get signed into law. Uh, and there is one in North Carolina. And actually, our superintendent for public instruction, Catherine Truitt, um, discussed some of this at a recent appearance that she made at the Orange County Republican Party headquarters. I've got some audio here. Uh, first off, she started by talking about what the role is for the superintendent for public instruction. I think a lot of people don't understand that DPI is the administrative agency of the State Board of Education. So we have an elected leader in me, and then we have a school board that is appointed by the governor. A lot of people say to me, why did you hire James Ford? (laughs) And I say, I didn't hire James Ford. He was appointed by the governor and uh, was just reappointed by the governor, actually. All right. So real quick, James Ford is a school board member who has been pushing the critical race theory stuff in all of these debates over uh, the social studies and history standards. Even though he's not been confirmed by the legislature. So... um, I have about 980 people who who work for me at DPI. About 500 of them are in the field. Um, So, um, and we have about a $12 billion budget. About 11% comes from the federal government. About 23% comes from the counties. uh, And then the rest of that comes from the general fund and is appropriated by the legislature. I have been working since my third day in office on critical race theory, when the social studies standards that were supposed to be in their final draft form were presented at my first state board of education meeting, which was January 5th. That was my third day in in office. The majority of that work had already been done when my predecessor was in that office. And I don't know if you all remember, but um, there was a a lawsuit between the board and my predecessor, which um, the the department won, um, but it created a lot of chaos and tension between the board and the Department of Public Instruction. All right. So what she's talking about or who she's talking about is Mark Johnson, the former superintendent, first Republican elected to be superintendent, I think maybe ever in North Carolina. And uh, yeah, the board that was comprised of Cooper appointees kept cutting him off at the knees on his attempts to create change inside DPI. And they were at odds all the time. And they actually had to sue over who got to control the direction of certain uh, policies and, and and who got to implement them, and who got to pass them, and all this other stuff, and funding issues, and could he take money that was in a fund and use it for certain programs? So yeah, so they had a lot of, there was a lot of contentiousness between Mark Johnson and the State Board of Ed. And a lot of people left DPI during that time. Um, And so I inherited a large bureaucratic agency that quite frankly was a mess. Um, I would also point out here, 
a lot of people left because Mark Johnson was a Republican and they didn't like Mark Johnson because they were Democrats. <laughs> this is what happened when Pat McCrory won the governor's race in 2012, right? He took over and there were these entrenched bureaucrats in the system that were all Democrats and they hated Pat McCrory and they fought him every step of the way too. So, um, yeah, so I'm okay with there being turnover. Like, bye, take care. Like, if you don't like the new leadership, you should definitely head for the exits. If you can't abide by their policy direction that they want to take the agency after they won the election, yeah, you should hit the bricks. And so when I requested at that meeting that I have more time to review the standards, I was said, I was told you have two weeks. So in this, the standards, are, that's about a thousand page document because it's K, K through 12. And then um, when, when we gathered the next time, I was told you can't make any changes to the standards themselves because the legislature has put a timeline on when they have to be implemented. So only the legislature has the power to delay the standards. So what I was able to do was to take out of the glossary of the standards, the terms systemic racism, gender identity, and systemic discrimination. That was all that was all I could do. So we have these standards. We've been working with the General Assembly to see if, if they can be delayed. And you may have read about that in the media this week because it has been reported on that the House in their COVID provisions bill that they filed the other night has asked for a delay for one year of the history standards. Okay. So whether or not the Senate puts that in their bill, we, we just have to wait and see. And then we have to wait and see if the governor signs it. Right. And then we'd have to see if the Senate and the House could override that veto. <laughs> so a lot of ifs still. And that is a separate piece of legislation, by the way, uh, to delay the implementation of the standards. That's separate from the uh, the bill that would ban the promotion of these critical race theory concepts in K through 12 education. Um that has passed the House. It's sitting over in the Senate right now. She's actually going to mention this and this, uh, the comments that she makes about that. I don't want to say got her into trouble, but it did raise some, it, it prompted some reactions, shall we say. Now, speaking of reactions, I love getting reactions from people when they go to Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. I love it when they uh, give me feedback about their experience because it's always great. <laughs> it's always good news. And uh, and they get helped. Like the last one I got was uh, from Ken. He and his wife uh, went to get a mattress and they thought they were going to be spending like $3,000 on one of the Biltmore mattresses because they had done their research and they were like, this is the mattress we want. The Biltmore mattress is a great mattress. It's made by Restonic. Um, you know, it, it it's luxurious and it combines uh, you know, the uh, design of old world craftsmanship and it blends it with the new world exclusive technology like the five support zones for proper spinal alignment. And all of that means is that you wake up, you know, restored. It's a healthier sleep. And, uh, you know, you're not kind of dragging a as you get out of bed just because the mattress is so terrible. So um, you get a Biltmore mattress. So that's where they went to. And they went to Mattress Man to get one because Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore mattress collection. And 
They were expecting to drop three grand. They actually spent like half of that. And they said, we went and bought our daughter a bed too (laughs) because they had so much money left over as well. They have uh, flexible financing options. Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. Go to mattressmanstores.com. You click the financing link, you apply, and then you get pre-approved right now. It's that easy. And... They have five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden. Mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So Superintendent Truitt said uh, that she does not think that the Senate was going to advance this bill uh, that would ban essentially critical race theory concepts from being promoted in schools. Here's what she said. Um, I think... So what I think is that they don't want to touch it because they don't want the publicity. But I, I don't I don't know that for sure. That's just what, what I think. So what if they got publicity for not touching it? <laughs> they won't get the kind of publicity that, that they're worried about. They, they want companies like Apple and Google to come to North Carolina who will say, no, we're not going to come to a state that bans that, that, that bans what teachers can teach and not teach because that's that's the way the other side sees it. Right. That's the way the other side sees it. Now, this prompted a reaction from conservatives that were like, wait a minute, the Senate's not going to move on this thing. And then that, that got pushed back. And so she tweeted out this weekend, quote, I spoke to the Orange County GOP earlier this week where I gave my thoughts on the trajectory of House Bill 324. I shared that I thought the Senate may not take up the bill out of concern for bad publicity with the business community. In conversations since, it is clear the Senate will move a bill they feel is in the best interest of North Carolina, its students, and will not bend to the whims of corporations and tech companies. As your superintendent, I will continue to do everything I can to stop CRT and eradicate it from classrooms. Republicans in North Carolina are united on this. Now, Truett also said that she has publicly supported the House bill to ban promotion of racial uh, racial essentialism. Basically, she said she's been on board from the very beginning. Um, and so any kind of rumors that are out there that she's, you know, somehow closet supportive of the CRT agenda, she says it's not true. I was quoted in the media as supporting it, much to the disappointment of a lot of people in the education community, because like I told you, Republicans don't tend to work in the education community. Um, and so what I can, this is, this is what I know about critical race theory. This is an academic movement that started 30 or 40 years ago. I know my husband told me when he, uh, when he started law school, there, there, there was this kind of group that was on its way out. You know, you have like different kinds of legal theory. One of those were the, the crits. Those were the people who, who, thought that critical race theory was a, a real thing worth discussing uh, in the way that laws are uh, racist. And, but it wasn't something that was really taken very seriously. And now, to your point about, about me just being one person, this has permeated the idea of critical race theory, which I define like this. It's the idea that every aspect of American society is racist. That, that racism permeates every aspect of our society, even though we have laws that we have passed and enacted on the books that are moving us towards a more perfect union. Okay? 
That is what critical race theory is. It, critical race theory proponents also believe that because those laws were in place in 1783, that they can never really be amended and therefore our nation will always be flawed. And that, my friends, goes against my core belief as a Christian, that things are not, and people are not uh, redeemable. That's exactly right. And that is where Mr. Ford and I disagree, amongst other things, but we've <laughs> had this conversation before. Um, Critical race theory is part of military training now, at least in the Navy. It is part of corporate training. It's definitely in our colleges and universities. And it was part of government. It is now part of government training in HR. President Trump took it out. It took him a while to, you know, like he was in office for like three and a half years before it finally got pulled. And of course, the Biden administration has put it back in. And now it is once again part of training in the federal government. The kind of cowardice that we saw during HP2 from corporations boycotting us is the same cowardice that we see in corporations today. So what I submit to you is, yes, this is critical race theory is in some of our largest counties, for, for sure. It is, it's embedded in the training that teachers get. We, we've saw that in Wake County. Exactly. Did all teachers participate in that training? No. No. Do all teachers believe in critical race theory? No. No. But we all know that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And it's very difficult for people to fight back against something when they're afraid of being called a racist. Exactly. Okay. When they get shut down. When they get shut down. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I um last uh, two weeks ago at the board at the at the what month are we in? June. The June State Board of Ed meeting. Um, I made a statement about um, the, the the glossary and the unpacking documents in uh, for the for the history standards, which are documents we give to teachers that kind of takes them through each standard and gives them suggested topics to go through. I said um, publicly, because these are State Board of Ed meetings are live streamed public meetings every month. And I said, when I looked at the document, it was very clear to me that the majority of topics were seen through the lens of African-Americans in the United States. And so I asked them to go back and make it more equitable. We need to have Native Americans represented. We need to have Hispanics represented. We need to have um, Asians represented. I mean, I live in a community where 30% of the kids in my kids' schools are from Asia. So I made the statement that there were certain groups overrepresented. <laughs> and the media called me out on it. And Mr. Ford called me out on it. He said, excuse me, I would like for the superintendent to explain what she means when she says some groups are overrepresented. And I said, certainly, let me get my notes. And I opened my notebook and I said on May 3rd, I went through the American history standards and I chose three standards at random. I read off the standard and I said there were 25 topics suggested, 
17 of them were about the African-American community. Two of them had to do with women. None of them had to do with Hispanics. One of them had to do with the Asian community and so on. And I had converted them to percentages and said, you know, 80% of these topics for this standard is about the African-American community. That's overrepresentation. And if we are to uh, take, you know, anything away from the disparate outcomes uh, uh, requiring equitable solutions, right, that philosophy that the left promotes, we are to look at the outcomes and say, what is the representation of the various races? And that in and of itself, ipso facto, is proof of racist intent. If you have disparate outcomes based on race, that means there is an inherently racist system that is leading to those outcomes. So if you are creating curriculum content (laughs) that is overrepresenting one group, then that is inherently biased, right? It would be inherently racist, systemically so. But no, that can't work because, right, because it's not, it, right, because only whites can be racist. That's one of the other things. This is, it, this is the problem with the theory. It is self-contradictory in so many ways. It becomes incoherent. Sort of like maybe um, the excuses you're hearing from your real estate agent as to why your house isn't selling. If that's like incoherent to you right now, it's like not making any sense, get another real estate agent. Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they will get your house sold quickly and for more money. This is what they do. Uh, She outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. She's the only agent that we called to buy our house. So buying or selling, same recommendation, Rowena Patton, 828-333-4483. Mountainhomehunt.com is the website. She is the official and only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. This is a national program that gives buy and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees. Um, she's given back like $800,000 so far to local folks in those professions. So keep more of your own money, get your house sold, or get your new home. All by calling Rowena Patton, 828-333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call, tell her you heard it here, and then start packing. Now, what's funny to me is uh, the way a lot of the uh, the legacy media outlets and these corporate media outlets, uh, mainstream media, the way they are sort of uh, rushing to cover this story that has kind of popped up out of nowhere. And they, they, they say that, like, oh, just all of a sudden out of nowhere. Now, people who have listened to talk radio for a while, you're aware of this and have been aware of this for a while. We've been talking about this stuff for years, for gosh, I don't know, probably more than a decade now. I was talking about it back in 08, 09. This infiltration of these concepts has been occurring for a very long time. Go to campusreform.org. I mean, they've got their whole website has been covering this stuff for years. But now it's real because the traction that the right is getting and pushing back on this, it's getting uh, stronger. And now the left has to address it, which is kind of comical because at first it was like, uh, you don't even know what this is. It's not even a thing. Nobody's even doing it. And now uh, it's starting. Oh, OK, fine. Like it is it is happening. And they're like, this is important stuff, though. And you just don't want to teach the real history. So you can tell that the pushback is working because there is this constant deflection uh, about what critical race theory is. And they 
usually start off with a demand that you define it first. And that is a tactic. I've talked about this before. Uh, there was a really good piece, though, by Park McDougal over at, um, well, this came from Yahoo News. No, he was a writer. Hang on a second. I think he's with Washington. Yeah, he is the uh, life and arts editor of the Washington Examiner. They reposted it at Yahoo, but he had a really good piece about this. But there are a couple different lines of attack that corporate media is taking here. And this comes to us from Axios, uh, which was linked up to a Charlotte Axios piece um, about critical race theory in North Carolina. But they, they gave uh, this link, and I thought this was important because this is one of the arguments that you will hear if you haven't already, which is that this is all about Republican strategy for 2022. That's all this is about, okay? Um, with or without Donald Trump atop the party, the Republican strategy for the 2022 elections and beyond virtually assures race and racism will be central to political debate for years to come why it matters. So Axios is one of these Vox.com ripoffs where they're like, we're going to explain things to you with bullet points so it's easily digestible for your tiny pea brain. In an era when every topic seems to turn quickly to race, gee, I wonder why that happens, media. Well, why does every single freaking topic turn to race? Why is that? Republicans see this most divisive issue as either political necessity or an election winner. That's it. Those are the options we get. The false dichotomy lives strongly in Margaret Taleb, or Taleb, the Axios reporter here. She gives us two options that Republicans see this issue, this most divisive issue, as either political necessity or an election winner. No, it can't just be that Republicans or conservatives and actually a lot of liberals, too. They view this as really bad for society, like destructive to uh, the to a harmonious civilization that is comprised of diverse populations. Right. It, It can't be that. No, no, no. It's it's about politics and the election. Um. She then says, uh, these topics pit the mostly white GOP against the very diverse Democratic Party. Huh. Interesting you mention that, because Park McDougal had this piece at Yahoo, headlined, Critical Race Theory is Just the Ideology of the Democrats. That's it. (laughs) This is why why, uh, they see it as uh, a partisan thing is because it's them. In a recent piece for ARC Digital, the writer Oliver Trowdy noted that critical race theory is just the latest name for an ideology that we've been arguing about for nearly a decade. Social justice, identity politics, wokeness, intersectionality, right? The successor ideology, cancel culture, cultural Marxism, right? It it's just the latest name for all of this stuff that we've been debating. We've been arguing over this stuff. It can be hard to define precisely in the various names, cover a range of practices from law to corporate and university culture to art and entertainment. But you generally know it when you see it. It's like pornography, right? If you encounter language about whiteness and white supremacy, hetero and cisnormativity, racialized, criminalized persons, gendered bodies, among other things, right? You're encountering the phenomenon designated by the term critical race theory, regardless of what you think the best name for it is. Doesn't matter. The name actually isn't super important. It really isn't. He says car and automobile, 
they both refer to the same object and debates over the correct terminology are oftentimes just a filibuster of some kind. It's a way to avoid discussing substance by fixating on words. The more interesting question is what the object actually is. Those who sympathize with it tend to portray it as little more than an acknowledgement of the fact of racial inequality. That's all it is. Well, you just don't want to teach the history, right? No, no, that's not what we're saying. This is usually the, this is the argument we had about a month ago, right? Where it was always framed like, you just don't want to teach history. The Republicans don't want to let teachers teach history, the real history. That's not at all what we're saying. That's not at all what the bill designed to prohibit the promotion of these concepts. That's not what the bill does. But that's the way it was framed, okay? Critical race theory, according to the Washington Post's Christine Emba, is merely the recognition that, quote, our nation's history of race and racism is embedded in law and public policy and that it still plays a role in shaping outcomes for black Americans and other people of color and should be taken into account when these issues are discussed. Right. And that is the most charitable, euphemistic and uh, uh, charitable definition of these concepts. Now, you know, critics obviously disagree that this is the only thing that CRT is. Right. But it is way more than just that. The meaning, wokeness, critical race theory, intersectionality, like whatever you want to call this, it is simple and it is hiding in plain sight. It is nothing more and nothing less than the ideology of the modern Democratic Party, or more precisely, it's the ideological glue that holds together the modern Democratic coalition. You got your new economy oligarchs, you got your affluent college-educated professionals, particularly single women, you got your socialists, and you got your racial and sexual minorities. And these groups obviously are not mutually exclusive. There's crossover all over the place. As Christopher Caldwell observed in a, a, a piece that he wrote at New Republic, hardly a conservative publication, um, that he said that this these concepts, CRT, he didn't call it CRT. What did he call it here? The uh, civil rights broadly understood is what he called it. <laughs> civil rights broadly understood. He called it the reconciler of contradictions within the Democratic Party. And it's he said it's a very similar unifying role that um, that anti-communism played for the Republican Party for so long. Right. This was the three legs of the stool. Right. The Reagan coalition. Right. Where you could bring um, uh, religious believers. Right. The, the Christian coalition, the Christian right. You could bring in upscale businessmen and and, and uh, the war hawks. Right. The defense hawks. You can bring all three of these groups together all and libertarians. Right. You could bring them all in under the banner of anti-communism. And that's what CRT does for the left. So the stuff that you're hearing it's way more than just this, oh, this legal theory from the 70s and 80s. Like, yes, that is where it traces its roots to, but it's it's so much more than that now. It's become so much more than that. It's This is the, the whole, you know, anti-racism kind of school of thought. It all comes from the critical race theory, which came from critical legal studies, which came from critical studies, critical theory. It all And that goes back to Gramsci, Antonio Gramsci, the Italian communist. He was a neo-Marxist. That's why when people call it neo-Marxism, the cultural, uh, the long march through the cultural institutions, that's what it's a reference to. It is directly descended from Gramsci. And they don't want to talk about that. They'd rather hang you up on the definition of what is CRT. And, and 
you know, do you know all of the history of CRT and this legal theory and what it's all about? And then, aha, you, you are not qualified to have an opinion about this. Now, I will say this. You are qualified to have an opinion about Old Grouch's military surplus. All you got to do is head on over there and uh, you will see top quality Real U.S. military surplus. Old Grouch is your source. Old Grouch is located in downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun on Main Street, has been for 30 years, and the shop is open Monday through Saturday, 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. He's got duffel bags and MREs and backpacks, uh, thermal blocking camo netting. He has got home and workplace first responder kits. It's only a matter of time before you've got some sort of medical emergency at home or at work and uh, you're responsible, it's your property. Before, you know, medic arrives, you, you're going to have the opportunity to do something to help save a life. Are you prepared for that? Do you have a kit that helps you prepare for that? This kit that he's got has more than 350 components inside the kit so you can handle any kind of medical event from a minor scrape to a broken bone. These kits are made in North Carolina. They're durable. They're like these bright orange bags with reflective strips so you're going to be able to immediately recognize them at like the office or your workplace or whatever. Go to oldgrouch.com, check them out, or walk on into the shop any old time, well, except Sundays, but Monday through Saturday, oldgrouch.com, and uh, tell them I sent you. That's oldgrouch.com. All right, so back to this piece by Park McDougal. He is the life and arts editor of the Washington Examiner magazine, uh, and he says, look, critical race theory, whatever you want to call it, is essentially the glue that holds the coalition together uh, on the Democratic uh, in the Democratic Party. Um, he says... They could all agree on a narrative according to which the main problem in the society is the present power and past crimes of straight white men, the American nation that they traditionally governed and the Republican Party uh, for which most of them vote. And as a result, this narrative is hammered relentlessly. We're all on the same side against them. That, that's, that's the glue. That's the thing. That's why, by the way, the left sees this as a political and electoral issue, because for them it is. (laughs) It most certainly is. And to the Axios article, uh, they point out, here's where the GOP sees an opening. In our poll, just one in five white independents supports the defund the police movement. One in five white independents support. So four out of five white independents say, I'm not cool with the defund the police thing. Half of them say the media exaggerates stories of police brutality and racism. Two out of five say, so 40%, say social policies, including affirmative action, discriminate unfairly against white people. Those issues prime this slice of the electorate for messaging that paints Democrats as extreme on issues around race. It can't be the Democrats are extreme (laughs) on issues about race and social justice, right? That cannot possibly be the case here, according to the Axios reporter. That's not possible. It's simply that some of these rubes out there, in some cases, half of them, think certain things. And so the Republicans are just trying to use that. They're trying to stoke the fears to use that. It can't be that you guys just have really crappy policies you're espousing, right? It can't be that... Like people recognize the echoes of Mao's, uh, you know, struggle sessions and the Cultural Revolution and people who fled from socialist hellholes and came to America. And like these people recognize what it is that you're espousing. It can't be that. 
It can't be that. It can't be anti-communists who recognize the language you're speaking. It can't be limited government people who recognize um, the, the dangerousness of these ideas when you say, hey, we're going to create an entire federal department that will be uh, overseen by no other branch of the federal government that will be strictly used to provide equity to the population. Like, we recognize the dangerousness of some of the concepts you're espousing. That can't be it, though. No, no, no. It's all just an electoral play. And there's a, it's a great observation uh, by McDougal, who says uh, on this question of hypocrisy, like a lot of people on the right, they point to the hypocrisy of the left and they're like, hey, you guys are being hypocritical on this and they think that it matters. But so there's no real hypocrisy, actually, if you understand that the only relevant question is which framing helps the Democrats. <laughs> this is why. And that's what that's what this corporate media pushback is all about. That's what the Axios article does. It's what the Washington Post does. Charlotte Observer had to write. It's why they can't define critical race theory in anything other than these uh, these sort of whitewash, no racial pun intended, but this whitewashing euphemistic interpretation of what the theory does and is and and how they frame it. It's all about framing the issue to help Democrats because they, again, they're held together by that same glue. But people who are supporters of critical race theory should have a little more self-awareness about what they're doing, or at least what it looks like they're doing to people outside of their own little bubble. When the media nearly unanimously amplify the ideology of one of the major parties, when the tenets of that ideology are written into school curricula, and when publicly criticizing that ideology is seen as justified grounds for job loss and social death, a lot of people are going to feel as if they're living in a one-party state. And at that point, they're not actually wrong. See, this is the problem. Because this is critical race theory is just the ideology of the Democratic Party, and they don't see it as that, but the right does, when you start pushing it, it sounds an awful lot like you're pushing one political party's agenda. You see? And so maybe that's why they see it like uh, like it's a political deal, because it is for them. Um, Axios Charlotte had this write-up. Race is the topic of the summer again, but this time it's not playing out in demonstrations in the street, but in the halls of state legislatures. Right. So it's, they're very close to acknowledging that this is a reaction to the things that the left has been doing. <laughs> very close. It's like they're almost in the vicinity. Like you're almost there. You almost nailed it. But then you missed. Then you missed. By the way, um, you will not miss if you go to General Equipment Rental for your equipment needs, whether it is outdoor power equipment you are searching for, uh, like uh, stuff to help you do battle against Mother Nature in the yard. If you are looking for chainsaws or trimmers or hedge clippers, uh, they've got mowers. They got the auto mower, by the way. This thing just rolls around your um, your lawn. It cuts the grass for you. Yeah, it's like the size of, uh, I don't know, it's like two feet long. It's like a little Batmobile. That's what it looks like. It just just drives around, cuts the grass, and then it docks itself. It's like a Roomba for your yard. Um, so, yeah, you can get one at General Equipment Rental. They're by Husqvarna because General Equipment Rental is your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. And they've got tons of equipment for sale. They also obviously have tons of equipment rentals. And by the way, you can get 10% off your first rental uh, just by going to generalrents.com and take a look at the inventory, look at the deals uh, for buying or for renting. They've got the tools that you need to get the job done correctly and quickly. General 
Equipment Rental in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Family owned and operated for three generations. GeneralRents.com. Think outside your toolbox. All right, so Charlotte's Axios franchise did this story. Critical race theory is this moment's culture war. And North Carolina's GOP-led General Assembly is one of several considering legislation to ban the teaching of it in schools. So what is it? Why does it stir up emotions? Let me explain, they say. In its most basic form, the theory examines the relationship between public policy and racial justice. Its framework was developed in the 70s by legal scholars. Axios's race and justice reporter Russell Contreras uh, points this out. They link to the piece and it outlines how white supremacy maintains power through the law and other legal systems. Critical race theorists dismiss the notion that racism stems from acts of individuals, saying instead that it is ingrained in our society and comes from how the nation was formed. This is the systemic racism component. They say CRT is in the same arena as studying systemic racism, but the term sparks a lot more outrage, which is one reason it's being used. No, it's being used because that's the term that was used by the people that espoused it. Like, the right didn't come up with these theories, which, by the way, sidetrack, this is a theory. That's the one of the biggest problems in this entire debate is you have people who are promoting this stuff and they promote it as if it's true. And it is not. And what's more, it is simply a theory. It's th- these are ideas that people have about things. They haven't been proven to be correct, but they get taught as if they are. Now, why does it matter? Well, in Charlotte schools and elsewhere, it's become a fight over how to teach American kid or how to teach kids American history and how much to emphasize that today's racial dis- racial disparities are linked to systemic racism. Right. See there again, it's like how much to emphasize that today's racial disparities are linked to systemic racism. So there's already an assumption there. The critical race theory is already the assumed truth because you can talk to people like lieutenant governor mark robinson and he says there is no systemic racism and there are studies and there's you know research for decades that uh, link some of these disparate outcomes um, that you see in uh, you know poverty rates for example or uh, education uh, attainment um, some of these things, it's not due to systemic racism. It's due to cultural breakdowns, right? Why is it that the CRT people never talk about solutions that are embedded in the family? How come that's never part of the discussion? By the way, not for nothing, I would point out that most of these problems exist because of Democrat policies, you realize that, right? <laughs> These are right? conservatives weren't the ones running around saying, hey, you should blow up the nuclear family. That's going to be great for your society. That, that, that wasn't the conservatives doing that. The state of play, politicians who want these lessons in their present day connections uh, out of the classroom have riled up constituents by saying CRT is akin to Marxism and that movement towards teaching it is a ploy to liberalize their kids. It's not akin to Marxism, guys. It is. It's neo-Marxism. And the people who developed it said so. This is the point. And it is not a ploy. We don't, the people on the right, opponents of CRT, do not see it as a 
ploy to liberalize their kids. They see it as a way to brainwash their kids into neo-Marxist thinking. And if you're going to take up the responsibility of, quote, educating people with your explanatory journalism here, Axios, this is by Paige Hopkins and Michael Graff. If you guys are going to take up this responsibility to educate your readers about what it is opponents believe about a thing, you need to know what the opponents actually believe and you need to know what the thing is or else you're just engaging in propaganda. That's all this is. This is a pro-CRT whitewash. I did find this also funny at the very end. Uh, One of the reporters, Paige uh, Hopkins, says history lessons don't have nearly as much value if they don't make present day connections. The winner of the CRT battle will determine those connections and as a result, impact policy and large scale changes. There's a lot at stake. Well, now. I've been told for several months while we've been discussing this um, that this is all just hysteria ginned up by the right. This is just, well, heck, the thing you linked to at Axios said this is all about the election. And this is all political maneuvering. But here you have Paige Hopkins acknowledging there's a lot at stake here. Yeah, teaching a society its history has long-term and widespread ramifications. It always has. Always has. And I am not saying only teach the good stuff. This was their first line of defense. You're saying only teach the good stuff and to ignore racism. Never said that. Don't think that should be the case. Think you need to teach all of it. You need to teach all of it. And you don't need to teach people that based on an immutable characteristic that they possess, that they are somehow victim or oppressor because that's a very dangerous thing to teach a society and by the way it is required as part of revolution see that's why it's important to not ignore the marxist roots of critical race theory because that's the point the purpose of critical theory is to dissect through intense examination in order to destroy the pillars of a society why to overthrow it, to usher in the communist revolution, utopia, the worker's paradise. That's the point here. So, no, it's it, it's not something that's like, it, it's akin to Marxism. It is. That's the intended, stated purpose of it. Okay, that is a wrap for the episode. I appreciate you listening. Remember, subscribe at thepetecalendarshow.com and think about becoming a patron, too. I appreciate that. You get exclusive content and you get the bumper stickers. Thanks so much for your support. I appreciate it. And we'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.